You are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. For most of my career, I was ranked in the top 10 in Canada for my weight. And I have a win over a guy who wound up fighting in the UFC. I got to train with Rory McDonald, who challenged for the UFC welterweight title. He's my best friend for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I fought some stiff competition and did quite well against them what did that experience bring to your life so you know how like when we're kind of embedded in this fly fishing world there's certain things we've already talked about that brings into your into your life what did what did mma fighting bring into your world a lot of friends a lot of fond memories Mm. and uh help me network you know like i had job opportunities come up uh because of my my fighting career sure as as well as coaching opportunities right right um yeah i taught privately for quite a long time and i was the assistant coach in my gym for quite a long time and it was Hmm. it was a good experience overall welcome to the fly fishing 97 podcast featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry we focus on guides conservation resort managers gear and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers the fly fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by the fly crate the flycrate.com is your source for all things fly fishing The Fly Crate offers a monthly fly club. We select patterns every month for your home waters. With membership, you'll receive flies created to match the hatch in your area, along with the Fly Crate's guide magazine, the convenience of having flies delivered right to your door, some sweet stickers. Discover new patterns and start stocking your fly boxes now. TheFlyCrate.com Here's your host, Mark Hopley. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Stoked you chose to join us this time around. And we're going to head out to the Okanagan Valley in British Columbia, Canada. We've got Timothy Jensen on the line. Now, Timothy's out of Kelowna. He uh, was a former MMA fighter, professional fighter, a.k.a. death metal. Uh, So we're going to find out how how those worlds uh, collide, or do they, uh, with the world of fly fishing. He ties some pretty darn good-looking custom flies and is an avid fly fisher. Tim, thanks so much for coming on the podcast tonight. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. So I, let's let's take it back to your roots, if you don't mind. I know you're, uh, you're all in. Uh, you and I had a brief conversation the other night, and it sounds to me like anything you do, you do 110%. So... Let's take it back to your roots in, in the world of fly fishing. How did you come to discover it? And just kind of walk us through that uh, journey a little bit. For sure. So I was born in uh, Prince George. We lived slightly outside in um, Salmon Valley, right? About 20 minutes out of the downtown core. Mm-hmm. And uh, we lived about a two-minute drive from the Salmon River, which feeds into the Fraser. So when uh, I was little and my brother was just a newborn baby, my dad would take us out there and he fly fished and uh, my grandfather fly fished. So we'd go out there. I was on, you know, spin gear for first almost 20 years of my life. But a lot of those early memories are spent with my dad. And uh, he's, he's a bit of a dry fly purist. I've been trying to get him on a type seven line for a long time, but (laughs) It seems that that's kind of the way most people get into it, right? It's usually either a spinning gear, throwing a few lures and whatnot. But do you remember the first time you kind of picked up that fly rod and and, uh, never looked back? Yeah, I would have been probably 20, 21. And uh, I'd skunked out all day at a lake on spin gear. And uh, we ended up driving down to a creek that was about maybe half an hour down the road. And my dad could see I was obviously frustrated. I was kind of over the day, right? It's like, well, you know, grab my rod and just chuck it around a little bit. And like first cast, right? Just a, just a little eight inch trout, but that was it for me right on the spot. Hmm. If you had to cite a couple of people that have been influential in the learning curve is, and it doesn't have to be somebody that you, you know, have actually fished with anybody you'd learn from online, YouTube, anybody that uh, comes to mind. Yeah, it would be the usual suspects around uh, the Okanagan area, right? Like 
Brian Chan would be a big one for me. Um, for fly tying, Phil Rowley was pretty big influence early on. And, uh, yeah, just again, you know, my dad would be a pretty big influence and he's yeah. helped me out a lot, especially in the, you know, the early going, right. That's how I learned to cast was just hanging out with my dad. So that's cool. So I want to get to a few minutes to get to know you. You ready for a few random questions to, uh, kind of figure out what you're all about? A hundred percent. I know you're a big music guy. That's pretty evident when I uh, started looking into your, your background a little bit. But let's talk tunes. So if you were on the way to your favorite Stillwater in BC or or a favorite, uh, you know, river, what are you listening to on the stereo? <laughs> it depends who's riding with me and uh, how big of a rush I'm in to get to the lake. So if I'm by myself, I'm probably listening to something super obnoxious and loud. Like uh, the Dillinger Escape Plan or Nails or just something super heavy. Yeah. Uh, once I get to the lake, uh, I'll throw on like an alt rock playlist and just mellow out, right? Get in the float tube, throw on headphones and just enjoy the day. Yeah, it's funny how music has a way of doing that. There's a time and a place for everything. And this, like you say, necessarily if you're driving with somebody that's maybe not into the death metal, it might not be the go-to. But if you're if you're on your own, it's kind of a nice way to get motivated. Yeah, it sure is. Let's let's talk about go-to patterns for you. So, if you had to pick one pattern on the interior of BC, and I know you're you're in the Okanagan Valley, so you're you and I are more than likely fishing a lot of the same types of waters. Um, what are you reaching for more often than not? I mean, most guys in our region will say either a chronomid of you know some variety of colors or a leech, right? And I'm I'm the same, but just to be a little different, I'll say. Uh, the Michalix edge, oh, right, yeah. or the the triwing caddis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've I've had some great days using that on my float line, especially you know around around dusk when they're starting to rise at the end of the day. I had uh, just an insane evening uh, last season where uh, they stopped kind of feeding on leeches. I was running two rods off my float tube, right, one type seven line and one full float, and uh, threw on the Michalix edge, man, and right until we got uh to the point where the moon was rising and the bats were starting to fly around it was just fish after fish nonstop. i love it sometimes those caddis too in those kind of full moon evenings kind of look the size of bats too don't they sure do those that how do you say it michalux sedge i always have a hard time pronouncing that but i'll tell you what that is a go-to for me too you know what i like about it tim is it rides it rides really high because it's got all that deer hair and uh, and hackle. But there's something about the color of it. Is it? It's got a green body, does it not? Yeah, I tie it in a in like a dark forest green, uh, as well as an orange. Right. Um, yeah. I'll tie an orange colored one more towards the fall, right? Um, whereas dead of summer, I'm always fishing green ones. I've actually used that one in our area, well, which is your area too, on, on like you say, the Similkameen River, and it's deadly. It's a, it's a go-to no matter where, but yeah, that's a that's a solid, solid choice. Curious sure. curious about your favorite place to talk fly fishing. Is there a fly shop in Kelowna that you like to frequent or, you know, maybe a watering hole or um, is it social media? Where do you get your fix in the world of fly fishing when you're not fishing? I mean, if you're from the Okanagan, you've obviously heard of Trout Waters Fly and Tackle, so I'll go in there and talk with the guys for as, as long as I have time to. So that'd be one place for sure, but I have a, a good group of friends that all fly fish, so you yeah. know, whenever I'm tying up something new, I'll pop them a text or you know, direct message on Instagram if you like, you know, check this out. I'm going to make sure to tie an extra one for you next time we go out. We'll make sure we uh, we throw it on and test it. Yeah, I do exactly the same thing. I got a, a two or three buddies that I usually fish with. And if I'm sitting at the bench and I'm like, oh, I kind of like this, that's the first thing I do is fire it off to them. And they'll either tell me, yeah, or no. <laughs> <laughs> that's good stuff. Um, let's talk sports. Now, obviously, you're an MMA guy, but when I want to know where you get your fix in sports. Is it an MMA thing for you? Is it the Canucks? Is it the Seahawks? Um, who do you look to in the world of sports? I've never been a team sports guy. That's just not how I grew up. You know, my parents kind of 
encouraged me to go into hockey and baseball when I was young. And I, I just always wanted to do martial arts and, uh, yeah, they stuck me in, you know, everything from gymnastics to Cub Scouts to try and get me off that path. But I was just a dog on a bone. Just when can I start? When can I start? And finally, when I was 10, uh, they're like, if your grades are good enough, you know, you can, you can start doing martial arts. And that's the way I always was. I just have never had an interest in playing team sports for any real length of time. I dabbled in rugby and, and volleyball mm-hmm. when I was younger and it just, it didn't keep my interest in any way. So my brother was a goalie for three years and he's pretty decent at it, but he kind of went the same way I did. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Biggest lesson you learned in fly fishing since you started fly fishing, is there a single takeaway that you could kind of look to and say, yeah, this is kind of what it brings to my, to my life? Uh, yeah, I guess I could say my biggest takeaway is just when you're out on the water, I find you're really living in the present and it feels good just to unplug from technology, right? Be uh, out of cell signal, not popping off text messages or emails, what have you, right? And just living in the moment and enjoying the outside. I think yeah. something everyone could benefit from, right? Fill in the blank for me, Tim. When I'm not fly fishing, I'm usually doing what? Tying flies or sharpening knives. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's definitely outdoor centric in your household by the sounds of it. Yeah. Be- best job you've ever had. Now this could go a few ways for you. And I'm really curious your answer on this. If you had to pick, you know, your favorite job thus far, what would it be? I mean, fighting would be an obvious answer, but back when I was in my early twenties, I, uh, I worked in a scented candle factory and it was just about the most relaxing thing ever. Just mixing, <laughs> mixing melted wax with color and scent coming home, smelling like oatmeal cookies. It was, uh, <laughs> it was pretty awesome. That is not what I thought you were going to say. No, right. No one ever <laughs> expects that one. But for, uh, for my friends who remember when I was working there, I'd be going to jujitsu class after. And yeah, I was always smelling like something super good coming out of the oven or, you know, patchouli or just, <laughs> yeah, a vast array of different scents. It was, it was an interesting job. I worked with a bunch of old people and I was like this young punk kid rolling up uh, beeswax candles. That's kind of cool, actually. I could see that being pretty chill. Hmm. So let's let's talk about before we get into your fly patterns and and some of the good things you're up to and some some fly fishing kind of background. Let's talk let's talk about the MMA because I know that's going to be a um it's something that I had a lot of questions for you. I I'm not a I don't have profess to have a lot of knowledge in this, but my understanding was you're fighting out of uh, is it Toshido MMA in Kelowna yeah. um for for a few years. Tell us about how first off how did you get into MMA to begin with? So again, when I was 10, uh, that's when I first started, I started, uh, in Taekwondo and moved into Kung Fu and just, there wasn't enough contact for me. And I always figured, you know, if like I was going to have to fight, I'd want as much hard sparring experience as possible. And, uh, you know, started watching the first couple of UFCs and watching Hoist Gracie win, you know, the, he won the first three and then got injured in the fourth. Um, so he didn't, he didn't end up winning that one. There's an alternate that won it. But anyways, uh, seeing how effective jujitsu was and, and just growing up watching like Van Damme movies, right? Like kickboxer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I walked into Toshido for the first time. It was in the dead of summer. It's like 38 above. And there's three guys training for fights and they're all running heavy bags back and forth, slamming them and then jumping up doing some ground and pound lift in run to the other end of the mat repeat just round after round of like hard cardio like wow this is a a different world coming in from the traditional martial arts right where everything's like bow to your sensei and you're doing your your forms and your kata and first class i'm already you know sparring and getting out wrestled and wondering if this is for me but i i stuck with it and after about six months i really caught my stride and then i had you know, that would have been 2001 mm-hmm. and I had my first pro fight when I was 18, uh, wow. in 2004. That's, is that normal? Is that, is that, I mean, don't the most fighters start that young? Um, I mean, fighting's a young man's game, so it's 
not uncommon. You know, I was pretty young at the time, but we've had dudes out of that gym take amateur fights at like 16 years old. Hmm. Well, I was doing a little homework on you, and it seems to me that you were uh, pretty darn highly touted uh, and had a pretty darn good record. What what made you, you stop doing it? Like, walk us through your career a little bit, like, um, you know, kind of the Coles Notes version. Yeah, I mean, I walked away in the end. I just... I hadn't gone as far as I had wanted to with it and the opportunities to fight in the bigger promotions just weren't coming around. I had had uh, a couple pretty substantial injuries. I had a really bad ankle injury and uh, I had a knee surgery Hmm. and then two minor concussions. I've never been knocked out. Luckily I've been choked out a couple times in training, but I've never been knocked out. And I just started worrying about my future. Obviously the more we find out about concussions, the, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. the more debilitating, uh, debilitating they can be. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I just wasn't enjoying it as much as I used to, you know, I still, still train and I'm still in the gym lifting weights and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you got to move on for, uh, you got to move on in your life and, yeah. You know, I kind of came to the realization that winning fights is cool, but winning at life is better. So well, that's as soon as I retired, I like that. Yeah. So as soon as I retired, you know, I got a way better job and then I bought my house at 28 years old too. So it was the right decision to make. You know, I, I, uh, retired in 2013, I think was my last one, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I, uh, for most of my career, I was ranked in the top 10 in Canada for my weight. And I have a win over a guy who wound up fighting in the UFC. I got to train with Rory McDonald who challenged for the UFC welterweight title. He's my best friend for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I fought some stiff competition and did quite well against them. What did that experience bring to your life? So you know how, like when we're kind of embedded in this fly fishing world, there's certain things we've already talked about that brings into your, into your life. What did, what did MMA fighting bring into your world? A lot of friends, a lot of fond memories hmm. and, uh, you know, help me network, you know, like I had job opportunities come up, uh, because of my, my fighting career sure. as as well as coaching opportunities, right? Right. Um, yeah, I taught privately for quite a long time, and I was the assistant coach in my gym for quite a long time, and yeah, it was hmm. it was a good experience overall. Yeah. What are you doing for a day job now? So, about a year and a half ago, I took a buyout for my job. I was a cable technician for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. I, uh, sat unemployed for about six months and learned how to tie flies. <laughs> and then, uh, I got an apprenticeship opportunity, um, in fire protection. So I am an apprentice pipe fitter now. So now let's go down that road a little bit. Cause I know you've kind of got a little more time to tie flies and you were telling me a, a bit of a quick story about this the other night on the telephone and, uh, um, why don't you dial me in on that? What you may or may not have a broken leg right now. So let, why don't you tell me that story a little bit? Yeah, it's mostly may. So may, <laughs> yeah, I have a tibial plateau fracture right now. I've been off work for, I think six weeks now wow. and I can't put any weight on my left leg for at least another month. Oh, so it was our year-end team party. We played our 18 holes of golf. We were all hanging out at uh, my one foreman's house afterwards. And, you know, drinks were had. And uh, a couple of my coworkers decided they were going to wrestle me and see if they could tap me out with their combined power. And uh, in the scuffle, <laughs> one of them fell off the bottom stair of a staircase, which is where my heel was. And uh, my hips were flat on the ground. And he landed directly on my knee. So oh. it... Uh, more or less snap like a carrot. Unbelievable. Yeah, it hurt, but I mean, what are you going to do, right? Left, right, left or right? My left leg. So then, so now, obviously, you've got to do some, some rehab and, and some, you know, get thing, get your strength back in the leg. I'm sure that's going to take some time. So um, this has enabled you, by the sounds of it, to really work on your fly tying, hone that in. Is, has that been a big help? 
it it's been a really big help so when i first broke my leg right i was in a full brace completely immobilized and i figured it wouldn't be great to have the wife kicking me in my sleep so i moved downstairs to the couch and set up all my fly tying stuff directly beside me and obviously you know you you're out of work for that long time kind of loses meaning so i'll snap awake in the middle of the night i'm not a a great sleeper i've always kind of been on and off uh suffering from insomnia so i'll wake up you know be wide awake 3 30 in the morning and just be like oh man i should you know try this pattern i've never tied before and obviously if everything's right beside you more or less 24 hours of the day you're going to improve rapidly <laughs> I, I would imagine well I, I was looking at some of your patterns on on your instagram account and you obviously you're uh putting uh putting it through the uh you know the you're definitely tying a lot of flies up and it seems to me like so talk to me about that like you and i had a brief conversation the other night and and a realization i kind of come to in the world of tying is it's not always how long you've been doing it it's kind of how much you do it and the learning curve can be pretty steep i would agree i mean you could tie flies your whole life but do it pretty casually or you know as needed you want you know a tom thumb here or a mosquito there and you're just never going to refine the patterns it's all hours on the vice right so if i'm trying something new you know if it goes well i'll tie a a half dozen for myself and be done with it but if there's something i really want to try um you know that's that's a big challenge i'll dedicate a dozen hooks to it you know and however however much material i got to go through to get it done and uh and usually it goes pretty well but i i would definitely say for any new fly tire out there if you're just torturing yourself and it's going nowhere just walk away from your vice take the time calm down come back and just try a different pattern because there there are certain ones that will defeat you in the early going like i uh i first tried stonefly nymphs with a wire body wrap about four or five months ago yep. and they kicked my ass it, it went poorly i just ended up walking away and I, I left it alone for quite a while i came back just a few weeks ago and i found them super easy so now i'm busting them out and i personally i think they look great so it actually the one thing that amazes me with tying is you hit that on the head because i know there's a lot of patterns that i struggle with and and unless i see it done i how much does it help watching on youtube and actually kind of like you know going back and and saying okay this is how this this happens yeah i would say i'm i'm largely self-taught right i mean i've relied on youtube here and there you know instagram live tying sessions right i'll i'll follow along or watch it and then try it after the fact but it's a lot different in this day and age right you can watch videos and you can troubleshoot and there's a rewind button and a pause button it's a lot different than tying out of you know the old black and white books which i've had a lot passed down to me and man those instructions are so weird to read you're trying to figure it out and looking like man I, i just don't know you know it's way better to have a a video reference right oh 100 percent. i'm i'm i mean i think most tires are pretty visual but that i mean that was the way it used to be right you'd get the latest fly fishing magazine it would have a recipe and it basically just gave you the ingredients but it didn't tell you really how to do it you know to see that video is 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 game changing yeah i would agree who do you who do you uh follow as far as uh you know on youtube or like if you're watching somebody tie is there a couple of names that you kind of learn the most from yeah i would say like barry ord clark and uh davy mcphail be two of the masters right oh i I Um, love watching davy mcphail stuff he's amazing yeah just just a great dude for sure and then yeah phil roley for sure Mm -hmm. um he'd be He's a guy that I've I've messaged back and forth with quite a bit as well. I invade his DMs pretty frequently and ask him questions, but right. especially for Stillwater stuff, right? He's a he's kind of a go-to guy. He's got yeah. the the Stillwater fly fishing app as well, right? I have the subscription to that, so I've got all that content at my fingertips. Yeah, good stuff. Well, I mean, you you definitely naming uh, you know some of the the big names in the industry, and I think. I mean, you tell me, but uh, Stillwaters is a 
It's a different game than, you know, a lot of the people that I talk to on this podcast are primarily fishing moving water, but the still water game is, it's a different animal. Yeah. I mean, you're not tying Atlantic salmon patterns with, you know, nine different feathers and all different configurations, right? Still water is going to be more watching the taper on your chronomids to make sure that they're good and thin, but you know, there's still some substance to them and, you know, working again, working with spun deer hair, right. On a gonfus, which is uh, pretty funny. You hear a lot of guys say like, I don't touch them. I just buy them. And uh, I, I actually really enjoy tying them. So that's cool. (laughs) I'm not a big hair stacker. I get frustrated. It makes a big mess. And, and that was one question I used to always ask on the show was, do you tie or do you buy? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't bought a single fly since I started tying. And, you know, some of my early work, my, my poor friend, Gary, um, (laughs) we both like to fish Tom thumbs a lot. So that was one of the first deer hair patterns I learned. And he's got, 80 of the worst Tom thumbs you've ever seen in, in your life, right? He, he got all of my first batch and it's a, it's a pattern I mastered fairly quickly. But I mean, again, I, I think I counted like 80 or 88 Tom thumbs. and just like, Oh yeah, these are, these are fine. I look at them now and I'm just like, dude, Gary gets a lot of free flies now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and do you, do you find that your kind of giveaway slash throwaway pile, the quality is always going up in that one? Uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I even really give a lot of my first stuff away. I just, I've stripped a lot of hooks, Mark. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't have the patience for that. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll have a night where, you know, I'm tying a dozen or a couple dozen flies, whatever. And then at the end when I'm still in the mood to tie, but just my eyes are getting sore, you know, you're, you're just mentally kind of burnt out from it. I'll just grab something out of the you know, the first couple months I was tying and I'll just start stripping hooks. Tim, when you, when you're tying, do you like to do, you know, a half dozen, a dozen patterns in one sitting or are you like a, I'll do this and then move on to something else kind of guy? I get bored very easily. So, yeah. uh, chances are, you know, if I'm tying for myself, I might do a half dozen tops and then move on to something completely different. You know, like since I broke my leg, uh, I've been working on different boxes. So I have like a chronomid box, a dry fly box, a leech box, et cetera. Right. So I'll warm up, maybe do like four chronomids, gumphus or two, couple goddard caddises, right. And just kind of bounce around and make sure that I'm not burning out. So you could sit there and tie chronomids forever, but it gets pretty monotonous. I can tell we're fishing a lot of the same waters because you're talking about goddard's caddis, tom thumbs, uh, Michalik sedges. Those are, those are, if I'm fishing a dry fly, that's probably, probably what it's going to be in our Your area. go-tos. Oh, yeah. yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. To... I like, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I just, I like, uh, I like tying and fishing caddis patterns hmm. pretty much more than anything else. I mean, that's some of my favorite stuff and most successful in our area, right? Yeah. Especially on those, those kind of warm summer evenings when, you may or may not have a, a full moon and, and uh, the water kind of calms down and all of a sudden you start hearing those big splashy rises in the lily pads and it's go time. <laughs> Absolutely. So let, let's talk about your perfect day. If, if you had to pick your perfect day, Tim, like describe it. Walk us through what your ideal day would look like in an interior still water. Well, luckily enough, you know, I get to live it quite a bit. I do a couple annual fishing trips out to some stillwater lakes around the Okanagan. And, uh, yeah, the perfect day is basically wake up at five, throw down some cold brew coffee, load up the float tube and head out and be on the water from 6 a.m. until, you know, lunchtime, get off, have quick lunch, get back on and fish till the sun goes down. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'm tenacious that way. Like when I'm out fishing, I'm usually out of my group. I'll be the first person on the water and the last person off the water. That seems, that seems to be, you're pretty tenacious, I think, in everything you do by the sounds of it, whether it's in the ring or in the float tube. I try. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Um, is there something you think as a group fly fishers could do maybe a little better than we're doing? 
That's a tough one. Uh, I mean, everyone's a little bit different. I would say some guys aren't as quick to tell you patterns that are working for them, right? Some guys are, are super secretive. I'm more secretive about where I fish. I don't like to give away all my good spots unless, you know, you're, you're a buddy. If I'm bringing you out with me or I'm sure you fished that spot before because you're an avid fly fisher, I'm a little more open to talking about that. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, sh- sharing knowledge is something we should all <laughs> try to do a little more of, I think. Yep. Yeah, makes sense. We're chatting tonight with Timothy Jensen. Tim is out of Kelowna, British Columbia, avid fly fisher. He uh, sells custom flies, which we'll talk about in a moment. He also uh, spent time as a professional MMA fighter out of Toshido MMA in uh, Kelowna. Um, talk to me about the patterns that you're you're tying. So when if somebody DMs you on Instagram and, and says, hey, I, I want some of those sedge patterns or... Um, do you kind of usually put your own spin on it or are you looking for input from, from the customer? Uh, both, you know, like I'll ask them what size, uh, they want their flies tied in. You know, I have my go-to sizes that I tie for myself and that I fish, you know, with friends, but, uh, I'm, I'm pretty open. I mean, I'm going to try to accommodate the best I can, but if, uh, if I don't think it's going to work, I'll definitely say, you know, it's, that's, that's not how it's going, man. You know, like look at the picture. I'll send you, you know, a couple, you're going to be happy with them. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Tried and true. So are you, do you often sell patterns that you've never fished before or most years have gone through the ringer? Mm, No, I would, you know, I've, I've tied so much for myself and I switch flies so often when I'm on the water, I would say, <laughs> Is you that, know, I'm, I always like asking that question. So that's you, you're uh whatever, if they stop biting, you're changing. Uh, yeah, but not like every 10, 15 minutes, like some guys who are, you know, just a little overzealous. I'll fish a pattern for an hour and try a different spot, you know, before I change flies. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I like to, I like to test different things and, you know, different retrieves, right? Like short little hand twists or, or, you know, a hard pull for two to three inches at a time. You know, I'm always, always working to figure things out. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, just to, to answer your question, like I'm not gonna go so far out of my wheelhouse. Just to, if somebody randomly messages me and says, you know, can you tie me, you know, a dozen silver butchers like it's not a pattern i'm that familiar with so no right yeah no i get it makes sense and i think too probably when people are buying patterns and they're say they're looking at your instagram account they can see what you're you know they're going to find something they usually like on there like hey i like those in green or, or whatever right yeah what is your instagram account if we want to uh, kind of follow along your fishing adventures in the okanagan valley and, and some of your tying patterns yeah, my uh, social media, which is pretty much the, the only thing I use is Instagram, is just uh, tim.ties.flies. Got it. Tim.flies. Sorry, no. tim.ties.flies. <laughs> yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Got her. Um, talk to me about your tying setup. Um, let's uh, run us through it. What kind of vice are you tying on? What kind of bobbins are you using? Talk to me about scissors. Just start at the beginning. So since I've started, I've had four vices and I've wrecked the jaws on all of them. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I cranked down pretty well, at least in the beginning I was cranking down on, on hooks, uh, you know, harder than necessary. And I was upgrading, you know, I started with, uh, with my dad's vice, right. He's, uh, the one who, you know, kind of passed down all his things to me. So I started with some pretty inexpensive, uh, inexpensive stuff like a Thompson vice, or it's probably worth mm-hmm. maybe 20 bucks. And I've now upgraded to a Renzetti traveler. Yeah. Just, just, just an awesome, awesome vice. I have replaced the jaws in it once. So, <laughs> you know, I, I'm still learning, right? I just, I think it's more of a frustration thing. You know, I, I've, I do have a bit of a temper as, you know, as, as peaceful as I try to be. So, right. uh, yeah, I've, I've slammed, slammed those jaws shut a, a couple times and 
Um, for bobbins, I'm using like all Stonfo stuff. I really like their bobbins and uh, their razor holder as well, like for shaping deer hair. Um, mm-hmm. I use it quite a bit, especially on on Goddard caddises. And then, you know, just for scissors and like whip finishers and whatnot, I'm on all Dr. Slick stuff. I can tell you're hanging around uh, drought waters just because <laughs> I got a, I think got a stone flow uh, bobbin and a, and a Renzetti traveler and I got those from Savas and the guys in the shop there. And it, it sounds like you're hanging out there a little bit. Yeah. I forget the model I'm using for the Stonfo bobbin, but it's the one with like the little adjustable brake, right? So you can add or release tension off it. Is it bright red? Yeah. I have a bright red one and then a one with a black kind of tensioner on it and they're they're just the best man i love yeah. them yeah i picked up um a right bobbin which is not unsimilar i don't know if that's even a word unsimilar but they're they're definitely similar uh styles but i i, I think the tension is amazing on that and and if if anyone is tying in these days without some type of ceramic insert like uh, did you go through the the gamut of you know starting out with kind of the well you said you started with the Thompson vice which believe me I'm familiar with that I had one of those for years but you move up to the Renzetti and you go oh man this is like a total game changer did you start out with any bobbins that were maybe not ideal before you went to the stone flow <laughs> look man I've broken two or three tools <laughs> since I started you know either out of frustration or just overuse and uh mm-hmm. yeah I had like a six dollar bobbin at one point and like an eight dollar like no name bobbin and yeah they're fine to start with you know you can get it done with them but man yeah you, you upgrade your stuff and you're gonna get what you pay for as well right so yeah. yeah, I've still got like sitting beside me right now. I've got, you know, a $6 bobbin, like a $10 bobbin, just no name stuff, super generic. But, you know, they've all tied flies for sure. They've, they've seen a few hooks. Any trick for threading your bobbin? <sighs> Patience. <laughs> <laughs> Get the threads. Yeah. You know what I do actually with uh, pretty much at all times when I'm, um, when I, when I break my thread off a hook or, you know, cut it to finish, what have you, I wind the thread back until it's about three finger widths out of the end of the bobbin. So I would measure that off to start, right? Mm-hmm. Make sure your, your thread is straight, untangled, pop it in, and then, you know, just suck it through like a straw, right? I think that's what most guys do. Well, you know, you'll laugh. What I do is, is I've got like a high string off my guitar, electric guitar, okay. and I just kind of fold it over and I have it in a an old uh, cherrywood reel seat off a fly rod. And it's just basically, I actually push it straight down and I probably shouldn't do this, but it works great. Because I used to get so frustrated by trying to trying to uh, thread bobbins. Because I guess in a perfect world, you probably have as many bobbins as you have you know thread so that you can just basically because i have seen people do that that do it commercially it's basically they just grab another bobbin like i've got like three or four of them but i think it'd be kind of cool if you had you know every color of the rainbow you could just grab and just go i think it'd be really funny to go back in time and and, you know if i could videotape myself just watch the first couple days of trying to figure it all out you know like chucking a whip finisher across the room just being like no like i'm not tying anymore today this is this is too much but yeah i've i've started teaching my little brother i bought him a fly vice for his birthday and uh, i have a couple buddies that have come down and you know we're sitting around trying to tie flies and watching them for the first time is you know you don't laugh you laugh internally but i mean you don't <laughs> well it's you, you gotta be easy with them but man it's yeah. it's comical at times for sure yeah good stuff um what about scissors what are you using for scissors these days all dr slick okay but you know what actually here's a tip um as long as it's not nano thread which i like to tie with a lot but any like six or eight aught thread and uh when you're when you're clipping deer hair really short to the hook shank i actually use uh my wife's cuticle scissors Hmm. and i find you can get in way tighter to clip your thread or your deer hair what have you than you can do with any scissors i've tried and i've got you know the highest end dr slick scissors they're uh 
<laughs> they're just not quite as good. So, and then I, I use like, again, I'm a pocket knife enthusiast. So I trim a lot of thread with like a, a razor sharp knife, really, really close to the hook shank. Right. Yeah. You're the second guy in as many shows that has told me to use nano silk. Um, is that, is that the name of it? Nano silk? Yeah. I use uh like, I'm just reading it here. 18 aught or 30 denier. Um, Semperfly nano silk Semperfly, and especially yeah on uh chronomids especially you can really get your colors to blend if you overlap a little bit and then uh, i use epoxy to seal all my chronomids in just like uv lamp type deal mm-hmm. and it almost makes them look like jelly like if you look at my instagram i got a couple on there and uh the the thread becomes transparent underneath the uv resin and you can see like a bit of the hook shank and it gives a three-dimensional look to it it's pretty nifty that's cool so sorry what kind of epoxy are you using uh i think it's just bone hard epoxy right and just your common whatever you're going to find in your fly shop yeah i've got a, a couple different ones but i think yeah bone hard is the the main one i use and then what else do i got i forget I'm just off the top hang on for a sec yeah I, I yeah. do like asking that question because everyone has their different go-tos. Yeah, I use a Solares as well. Mm-hmm. It's UV cure, and it works pretty well. I know for chronomids especially, a lot of guys are sealing them with uh, super glue or crazy glue now. Uh, I'm still on the resin train, and I think it looks great. So yeah. makes them durable. It works, so I'm just running with that. I think it helps them sink too. Yeah, I would agree think so it gives you a bit of weight for sure so what do you uh when you're out there on your favorite still water talk to me about your setup you did mention you're fishing out of a, a pontoon or a, a float tube uh, tell me what you're fishing out of what kind of gear you're using what kind of length rod weights lines uh indicators walk me through that a bit for sure so some might consider it cheating but in our regulations as long as you're alone in a boat, you can fish two rods. So I'm in a Cumberland float tube and I fish usually like a full float and then a type seven. Sometimes I'll, I'll fish a float line with a sinking tip to switch it up. If I'm not having a lot of luck and I think I need to switch it up, I will. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm fishing a nine foot five weight Reddington path for a rod and then a what nine foot six weight stage launch so my rods aren't great but i use a uh, scientific anglers amplitude and sonar lines like the nicest ones you can get nice. and then for for reels i've got like a reddington rise a raw cla2 and uh, a lamps and guru so nicer than my rods i would say <laughs> what kind of fins you wearing uh buck bags Just, yep. i think they're like 110 bucks i got them at uh Ken craft out in, in cold stream. I don't know if you've ever made it out that way, but <laughs> I have, I love that place. Yeah. They're super nice people out there. That's, uh, I was driving through and I wound up buying my float tube there as well. But, uh, yeah, these buck bags, they're, I don't know. They're perfect. They let you go pretty fast. They're super comfortable, like nice and soft. So I just wear like a, a waiter with a, a stocking foot on it. I don't wear like waiting boots in my, in my tube at all. And hmm. um, yeah, I can kick all day. That's my kind of hidden gem store, Kencraft. I, 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 I'm in there for so long, it's not even funny. There's all kinds yeah. of corners you can find uh, materials I've never seen before and probably will never see again. Place is huge. It's deceivingly big in there, for sure. Yeah, it is. And with all this online stuff these days, it's nice to kind of go into a shop and just look around and, and touch and see what's what the heck's going on because... It's, uh, it's, I find it a little more challenging online unless I know exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah. I like to do things in person for sure. I'm, I'm going down to trout waters, you know, once a week for fly tying material. And I don't, I don't think I've ever bought any fly tying material online. Has, Never ordered a reel or anything like that. Have Nick and uh, Savas got nano silk in there? Sure do. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. I've got check it out. too much of it sitting beside, uh, beside me right now. Yeah, I got I got to get on that train. 
Um, you got any crazy fish stories for us in your time on the water so far? I always like to kind of ask if there's anything weird or, or kind of wonderful that's happened to you in your time on the water. Nothing too crazy. I mean, we were out last year, no, sorry, two years ago now. And, uh, it was pretty stormy out and, you know, the lightning kind of started in the distance and rain started coming down and, and the lightning and the thunder just got closer and closer. So, I was at the very end of the lake. My buddies were closer to shore than I was. They all made it out. We start seeing lightning flash. The thunder's probably, you know, a second or two away. And I snag not my fly or my leader, but my fly line. And I snag it good. So they're screaming at me like, get off the water, get off the water. Yeah, I'm working on it. So I'm thinking, do I cut my, you know, $100 plus fly line or do I work to untangle it and then casually kick to shore so probably not the smartest thing to do but i hung out and made sure that i got my fly line back would you have your tinfoil hat on and your you know your nine foot nice and high (laughs) no i I started thinking i was like you know what how much metal do i have in this flow tube right now and like you know what am i wearing that might uh, attract lightning but yeah i made it out obviously right i'm still here to tell the tale yeah you know that's one thing i am super super cautious of because a lot of these lakes we fish are kind of on the you know the tops of a a hill or um you know fairly high elevation and you're the highest thing around especially when you're dealing with flat water and it's uh if i see lightning i i don't hang around too long (laughs) right but you know if you got a hundred dollar fly line that's another story you gotta well, it's going to ruin your weekend, you know? Oh, yeah. I, I hear <laughs> You're you. down a sink line. Yeah, right? I, I'm not fishing a full float all weekend. Forget that. <laughs> I like it. Um, you got to talk to me about the nickname Death Metal. Now, how did Talk to me about that. How did you come up with that name, or did you? Did Is that what people were calling you uh, during your MMA career, or uh, I noticed that was your nickname? Yeah, you can't give yourself your own nickname. You can't be that guy. <laughs> so That's true. my uh, my coach gave me that nickname, and it's just comes from the music I I listen to, or you know, used to listen to a lot more. I'm uh, starting to mellow with age now, but I still listen to it quite a bit. But uh, during the heyday of my career, that was non-stop that was the only thing i was listening to all the time so if i was in the gym first right i had a key class at start and we'd have to turn down my music or change up my music yeah yeah i used to work with a, a fellow that he had the the death metal on all day and we we're driving forklift back in the day and and man after a while i i felt like going up and turning it off but um so are you a little less less kicks and more uh, candles now is that what you're trying to tell me yeah, I mean, I've got a wife and a kid and a mortgage now, so I'm definitely mellowing out with age. And yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I listen to a lot more alt rock and a lot more alties than I used to. Right, a lot less death metal now. What's uh now that you got this time and you're kind of healing up? What's uh, have you been doing a lot of reading? What's the most recent book you got there nearby? Uh, Fight Club. <laughs> Funny enough, <laughs> Chuck Palahniuk. Uh, it's the last thing I read. I also read like a lot of Scott Sigler novels. He's kind of a horror slash sci-fi guy. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if you're into that at all, you could check out, um, the infected trilogy. It's amazing. What's your go-to binge watching episode right now on TV? I'm watching the office for the eighth time. Oh, you know? man. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. I, Probably a pretty common and generic answer at this point, but everybody loves The Office, right? Uh huh. Is it is Michael still the boss, or has that changed? No, I'm in the last season right now. Ah, there you go. Yeah, no, I, it was funny because I I used to watch that show a fair bit, but I swear I never watched the whole thing. And when COVID started, um, I you know we got a little extra time, and I I know at one point I was home for two weeks, so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch the office and I think I watched every single episode and yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's amazing to me how our viewing habits have changed over the past year or so. It's like, nobody wants to watch something that there's just one season of. It's like, give me something that's got like eight, nine seasons long and I can really get into this. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm on contract with cable right now, and once it's over, I think I'll cut the cord and just go all streaming services. You know, I'm not wanting to sit through commercials anymore and watch the same thing. <laughs> it's funny because I'm watching The Office over and over, but I mean, watching the same movies that are always on television, right? Same generic stuff. And I know, it's, uh, it's sad, all actually. The, yeah, all the bad news that we're inundated with every day, right? So it's something negative, so... Yeah, we need we need some more fly fishing shows. Maybe you should start one. I think there's probably enough content makers out there at this point in time, but never say never. Do you ever think of doing like? Do you do any YouTube videos of your tying, or is that something you're I interested in? I haven't, but I think it's inevitable. You know, I'll do uh, some Instagram live stuff or start a YouTube channel. Yeah, no good stuff at some point, right? And again, that's part of sharing the knowledge yeah well i appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us tonight tim i really do it's i've enjoyed chatting with you and uh i wish you uh, a great tying season heal that leg up man and uh you know uh again throw your instagram handle out there so somebody's looking for some custom flies or looking for some of the patterns you're tying um where do they find you at yeah it's tim.ties.flies and if you're a fly tire and you see anything that I've tied that you're struggling with, always feel free to hit me up. I will give you all the advice I can. Awesome. All right, man. Thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks for having me, Mark. We've been chatting tonight with Timothy Jensen out of Kelowna, B.C., avid fly fisher, sells custom flies. He's out there on interior still waters a heck of a lot. His career as an MMA fighter um, out of Toshido MMA in Kelowna. Uh, Look him up on Instagram. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.